I am not going to be long because uh, though we could say there's lots of important material to cover, we want to maintain a schedule. So I'm going to abridge my thoughts this morning and just try to sum up what I originally was going to say with something that I hope will just be encouraging, beneficial, and, um, and get us out of here with an inspiration. Uh, let me just tell you that how the title of this message was crafted. It was given to me, not by me, but by Jack, actually. He was uh, reading through a little devotional that Tyndale House publishers produced right after 9-11. And uh, I did an article called The Cross at Ground Zero. And um, there's a phrase in that little article that I wrote that I'll just share with you about, and it's really how I became an FBI chaplain. When I was at Ground Zero and we were going through the rubble, Uh, A chaplain from Texas summoned me to come because this firefighter was all excited, big, burly New York firefighter that wanted to show us something. So he took us into uh, one of the buildings that was fallen down. And in the midst of this courtyard that had become a courtyard because of the debris, he started telling us his story. He said, I was here the last couple days and all I was doing from morning till night is pulling out bodies and body parts. I came to a point, though I'm trained to do this, where all I saw was this devastation and the loss of life that I was starting to crack. And I cried out to God, and I said, God, you got to show me something. Show me a sign. And uh, he said, and he pointed into the middle of the debris, he says, can you see it? Look, can you see it? Now, all I saw was debris, but there in the middle of the debris, the way the building had fallen and the I-beams, the heavy metal cross beams, had been severed, there after demolition produced by the disaster was a perfectly formed cross. It was cross members of the building that had been severed at just the right places and it formed a perfect cross. Now, since then, the cross had been exhumed, taken out, and still on display at one of the churches back there. But this firefighter was breaking down and he was weeping. And he said, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to call the archbishop. I'm calling the mayor. That cross spoke to my heart that God is in the midst of this stuff. Can you see it? And it was that event that said to me, i got to get more involved. Because the issue to me is not just can you see it, but can they see you? Can they see you? Because God does want to show himself strong in the midst of crisis and disaster. This last 4th of July, I went up to a hill with a group of friends to look at fireworks. And where I am, because I'm back in Southern California and there's all of these cities putting on their fireworks, I could see no less than seven separate city displays of fireworks at one time. San Juan Capistrano put on theirs, Dana Point Harbor put on theirs, Newport Beach, Laguna Niguel, all at one time, all around us. Spectacular. But... What I did this 4th of July, and I recommend to you to do any 4th of July, is stay there until after the fireworks have gone out. Stay there, let the others go if you want, and just 
keep your head cocked heavenward and keep looking. And you will see when the smoke clears, stars shining. And what I love about that is long after the fireworks fizzle out and the Roman candles burn out, the stars keep shining. They're always there. And it's amazing to me that people will go out every 4th of July and go, wow, 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 and go home. When you could, on any given night, just do this and go, wow, wow, wow. And I bring that up because you know what the Scripture says in Daniel chapter 12, those that are wise will shine like the stars forever. And those who lead many to righteousness will go on shining. So, can they see you? I guess you might entitle this last final set of closing comments as, Do you glow in the dark? Or how to glow in the dark, even. And there's a scripture passage I would like to remind you of. It's in Philippians chapter 2. So if you happen to have a Bible, flip to Philippians chapter 2. Where he says this, in verse 14, beginning there. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering... On the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. See, Paul was from the South. (laughs) For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Let me give you a quick frame. Paul wrote this letter to a group of Christians that were all bent out of shape because their hero was in prison. They didn't know what to do about that. We're looking up to Paul. Paul writes to them and says, don't worry, I want you to know that what's happened to me has happened for the furtherance of the gospel. I'm being able to reach people in this crisis situation like I've never been able to reach people before. The Roman guards are coming to Christ. People from Caesar's household are coming to Christ. So don't worry about me. This is in the will of God. Number two, while I'm gone, you Philippians need to know that you need to love and serve and prefer each other humbly. And here's the example. Jesus Christ left heaven, came to earth, and that's chapter 2. And uh, now he tells them why. The reason why all of that is important is because people are watching you. The world that is dark is watching you as you shine as lights. The world is scoping you out. One day at a busy intersection... In a city, uh, cars were stopped at the red light, and the guy in front, the lead car, was not paying attention. His head was down when the light turned green. Well, the lady behind him in the second car was aware it has turned green. He's not noticing. What she sees now is cars behind her even passing both of them on the right and left to proceed through the intersection. She's torqued. She's mad. She starts yelling, cussing, beating the dashboard. The light turns yellow. 
He still doesn't see it. She's now honking the horn, swearing. Finally, he looks up, sees the yellow light, speeds through just before it turns red, making her way through another red light. And she's ranting and raving and swearing and even gives him a certain gesture out her window as he goes through. Just then she hears a tap on her window. It's a police officer with a gun. Get out of the car. Let me see your hands. Put your hands behind your back. Cuffs her, takes her to jail. Books her. She sits in jail for two hours. They finally come back to her. They've cleared up the issue And the officer said, Ma'am, I am terribly sorry. We have made a horrible mistake. But you've got to understand something from my perspective. There you were ranting and raving and honking your horn and beating the dashboard and giving that gesture out the window. And you've got to admit, I was confused because when I looked at the back of your car and I saw the follow me to Sunday school license plate holder, And the what would Jesus do bumper sticker? And the choose life bumper sticker? And the chrome-plated Christian fish on the back of the car? Naturally, I assumed it was a stolen vehicle. (laughs) The world is watching. So Paul says, and, and he knows that, these Philippians must bear a certain posture before this world because, he says, among whom you shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights. We have to realize our condition, the condition of our world. (laughs) Listen, Paul calls it a crooked and perverse generation. Do you agree with that? I mean, I, I look at that and go, Paul, tell us how you really feel. Crooked and perverse. The word crooked is a Greek word, scolios. We get the term scoliosis from it. You can picture somebody bent whose spine is now unable to support their structure. And so he says, we live in a world that is scoliosed, that is crooked, and perverse means twisted, morally bent, unable to support life and issues of life in a crisis. It's unable to support it. By the way, the Lord Jesus used the same terms when he said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I bear with you? Now, we know, we know well what Jesus said about us. You are the light of the world. He said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But he said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. It's a great statement. But you know what that implies, If you're the light of the world, it means that the place you live in is very dark. So when Jesus said what he said, he implies very strongly that the world is morally corrupt because you're salt, spiritually dark because you're light, and therefore we have a commission. It's important that as Christians we view our world plainly. We understand where we live The world isn't getting better and better as some of the social evolutionists tried to say some years back. Oh, look, through eradication of disease and educating the populace, we're becoming better. No, no, no. Look at the world in reality. There's a murder every 24 minutes, a rape every 7 minutes. We're not getting better. You can't stand stand in front of ground zero and say, yep, we're getting better. We look at the world plainly and it's bent, it's scoliosed. It's unable to support 
the structure. But then we should look at the world spiritually as well because this moral darkness will eventuate in eternal darkness and we can never put that out of our view. We can never put that out of our view. For uh, the Lord Jesus spoke about outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of truth of, of teeth. But then we need to look at the world compassionately. You know, when Jesus looked at a crowd, he looked at a crowd very differently than Skip Heitzig looks at a crowd. I hate crowds. I hated them when I was a kid going to Disneyland. I don't like them on the freeway when their people are in my lane. And I'm trying to get there first before all the selfish people do. It's just, it's, 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 I don't like crowds. So I need to learn to look at crowds and people and the world differently as the way Jesus would look at them. He looked at a crowd and says he was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. Jesus looked at them so differently. And we need to view people not as clients or as accounts, but as souls, people who need God. Uh, This brings us to really the second point here, our position in the world. You shine as lights. You shine as lights. Now listen to this. As bad as the world is, it's perfect. It's perfect for us. The conditions could never be better than they are right now for us. And that's what I want you to walk away with, is that light shines in the darkest places. In World War II, when all the lights went out in Europe, they said you could see a cigarette being lit 11 miles away. I don't know how true that is. But the point is is that when the fireworks go and the sky is dark, you see the stars. You don't see them during the day. Flashlights don't do you a lot of good at 12 noon outside. Flashlights do a lot of good when it's really black. And so conditions couldn't be better than they are right now for the light to shine. A few words about light. Light is electromagnetic radiation. It's on uh, the scale of um, what would be considered long wavelength radiation. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. That means that sunlight takes eight minutes once it leaves the sun to hit Earth because it's 93 million miles away. But light, as a substance, exerts measurable force on whatever it strikes. In other words, light makes a difference whenever it... um, shows up, it makes a difference. And so that's where you and I come in. The world is a mess. We know that. That's reality. It's perfect for the message. And the message needs the messenger. So let's maybe make that our our new motto. I'm a messenger with a message sent into the mess. That's what first response is all about. A messenger with a message sent into the mess. So we are light in a dark place. Verse 15 of what we're reading, that you may become blameless, harmless, children of God without fault. That's what we were talking about, I think, in the first uh, two lectures this morning. Without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, 
holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. What I want to leave you with now in the next couple of minutes, and I promise I won't drone on, is to tell you what I think the scripture is saying on how to do it now. How do we glow in the dark? How do we live in such a way so that people like the firefighter said of the cross, can you see it? How do we do that? We do it in two ways. One is an attitude and one is an action. I think the attitude was adequately covered this morning by Jan. Having that right sensitive spirit, the right attitude. And, and Paul sums it up this way. The, it's the attitude of affection. Do all things without complaining or arguing, disputing. Don't you wish that Paul would have said, do most things without complaining? Do all things without complaining or disputing. The word complaining in the original uh, speaks of somebody who's muttering something under their breath. Whereas the next word, complaining, means that you're bringing it to the forefront and you're sharing it with somebody else. I.e., the woman in the car ranting and raving so that the police officer sticks a gun in her face. She's now taking something muttered under the breath and taking it to the forefront. If, uh, if an unbeliever sees or hears a bad attitude from us, especially in a crisis, there's no incentive for them to leave their darkness and come to the light. There's no glow. If there's no glow, there's going to be no go. Why would I leave what I have and come to what you have? You don't sound happy. You sound miserable. So it's the attitude of affection. Heard a story about a dad, Christian family, sat down with a family at breakfast and said, let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your kindness, your goodness to us. You're so merciful and you've provided for us so graciously with this food. Amen. And then he started complaining to his wife about the food. And so the little girl perceptively said, just trying to get it right, Daddy, did God hear you when you thanked him for the food? Well, of course, God hears all of our prayers. Well, Daddy, did God hear you when you complained to Mama about the way she cooked it? He got nervous. He said, yes. And the little girl said, then Daddy, which did God believe? Which did God believe? Where's the glow in that? And that for a child was so confusing, I just don't get it. There's then a second one. Not only is there an attitude of love, affection, but there is an action of evangelism. And I want to leave you with this because I think it is so important. Look at what he says. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. That means have a tight grasp a firm grip of the message that leads people to eternal life. Know the message and share the message. Know it, articulate it, and share it. Listen, we glow in the dark by our lifestyle, certainly, by living differently, absolutely. 
by just being there and being a witness. We demonstrate that glow. But we also demonstrate that glow by telling people how to leave their darkness and get into the life. What we exemplify by our life, we must amplify by our lips. I know what St. Francis said, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. But I just got to tell you, I don't necessarily agree with St. Francis. I like St. Francis. I can disagree with him because I was born and raised Roman Catholic, so I have every right to disagree with him. I think that to preach the gospel, you have to eventually use words. Now, yes, be sensitive and loving and kind and compassionate. I know that as a chaplain. But if you just talk, or if you just say nothing but live this wonderful life of joy and sensitivity, but you never tell people why, they're not going to make the connection. Something along the way has to make the connection for them, and that's where holding forth the word of life comes in. If you just live the witness, how will they know why or how you've changed? This is what Paul said. I love St. Francis, but this is what the Bible says. Romans 10:14 How can they believe in one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Don't ever be a secret agent Christian. I know a lot of secret agent Christians. They've never blown their cover. And what's sad is they're proud of it. I work as an FBI chaplain. I perfectly know my parameters under the law of what I can and cannot say. But I've got to tell you something. I'm working undercover for somebody else. I have an agenda for the kingdom when I work with agents. And I have a goal. I want to comfort them, but I'll tell you what. I want to get them to heaven. And I thank God for the opportunities I've had to lead many of them to Christ through the sensitivity and walking through the crisis, but then coming a time where I say, I, I just got to talk to you. I love you too much to let this go. I had an agent come into my office, and I was uh, in Albuquerque. Every Friday I'd go into the FBI office. But when agents had some special problems they wanted to talk about outside the office, the EAP would let them come to my office at the church. So I had this guy come into my office, young guy, SWAT team guy, and he closed the doors, and he looked very skittish, and he sat down. He said, Skip, this is going to sound really weird to you. And, and he was very apologetic. But he said, I'm afraid to die. And I'm listening to him, and I'm thinking, this is the smartest thing this kid could ever say. doesn't sound weird to me at all. This is healthy. He says, I'm a SWAT team guy. I've laid my life down on the line. I have guns pointed at me. I've shot people. I've never been afraid before, but I'm getting on an airplane tomorrow to see my parents back in the east, and I'm afraid what would happen if I die. I said, you know what? That's one of the smartest feelings, best feelings you could ever have. And through a beautiful process of a couple hours, he prayed to receive Jesus Christ. And I saw that young agent's life change. And then I told him, I said, I, gotta be, I just got to be frank with you. I've been working undercover. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, I, I work for another agency, the kingdom of God. This is my agenda, to get guys like you and gals that work with you to heaven. So um, 
preach the gospel, and it will be necessary to use words as the Lord opens that door. So don't blow your cover. Uh, it's the attitude of affection. It's the action of evangelism. You know, in 1963, when President John F. Kennedy was assassinated, it took two hours for the world to hear that it had happened. Is 1999 when John F. Kennedy Jr. went down in an airplane on the East Coast. It took two minutes for the world to hear. Because of technology, we can hear and see it instantly now. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus died on a cross, and half the world still doesn't know. So it takes the attitude, the love, and it takes the words that God would give us at the right time to mend hearts and to make disciples of all nations. Heavenly Father, we live in the dark ages. We don't relegate the dark ages to 476 to 1000 A.D. We're in the dark ages, as Paul said. It's a dark, it's a perverse, it's a bent world. It's the world we're called to, not to run away from, not to shy away from. Lord, I pray that you'd give us more glow-in-the-dark believers. I thank you for these. I've heard some of their stories the last couple days, where they've been, what they want to do with their lives, what gives them a lift. And it's all about serving people and serving you and leading them to Christ and expanding your kingdom. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for them. I'm honored to stand in their presence. And I pray you'd strengthen them as they go back. You'd inspire them as they get involved as first responders, as chaplains in military or in police or federal agencies, as people who respond to crisis. I thank you for their glow. It's evident here. I've heard it. I've seen it. And I pray, Lord, that you'd just strengthen them and keep them glowing and keep them growing. And I pray, Father, that what we have seen this week would be just the beginning to an exciting new ministry that would grow out of Samaritan's Person, the BGEA, of training chaplains and sending responders and teams to follow up afterwards. May, may this tribe increase. In Jesus' name, amen.